Uh, our passage this morning comes from Revelations uh, 7, chapter 7. Thanks, Mark. Starting in verse 9, uh, this is what that passage says. After this, I looked, and behold, a great multitude that no one could number, from every nation, from all tribes and peoples and languages, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, with palm branches in their hands, and crying out with a loud voice, salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before uh, before the throne and worshiped God, saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then one of the elders addressed me, saying, Who are these clothed in white robes and, where from, and from where have they come? I said to him, Sir, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones coming out of great tribulation. They have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Therefore, they are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter them with his presence. They shall not hunger, neither thirst anymore. The sun shall not strike them nor any scorching heat for the lamb in the midst of the throne will be their shepherd. And he will guide them to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear away from their eyes. This is the word of the Lord. You guys can have a seat. Good morning. What's up, gang? My name is Marco. I work here at this church. Uh, you pay me to be the junior high pastor. Uh, that means I work with fifth through eighth grade students. Quick update. I'd love to give you an update on how student ministries are going. This summer was incredible. I can speak for Chris Garcia, the high school pastor. I didn't ask him, but I'm sure he agrees. Uh, this summer has maybe been the best summer of student ministries that we've had in a long time. It, we, we have three big trips, like it's Spy Kids and then it's my summer camp and then it's the high school summer camp. And all three of them, uh, we felt like was the best that it's been in years. We saw God moving, we baptized kids this summer. We saw kids make a first time decision. We watched students struggle with uh, divorce, mental disorders. Uh, we're, we're watching students deal with all those things and still praise God. So if you think about us, uh, Praise God for the glory and, and, and majesty that he offers and, and how amazing he is and the way that he's working in your students' lives and the way he's working in us. It's incredible to be a part of. It's so much fun. Think about our students also as we get ready for school. School's getting ready to start. Uh, students are stressing. Parents are stressing, getting ready for those types of things. So if you think about us, think about those kids, please be praying for them in our church, in this community, the whole nine yards, okay? So, we are in this series called Even Better Than Eden. We're talking big picture in big girl church. I'm so jazzed to be covering these topics of looking at the Bible from start all the way to finish. And I actually opened up this series in Morris where we talked about the wilderness and talking about how God has used those places. It's, a, it's an incredible story. It's crazy to see how God works in these different places. And then in the last two weeks, we've had uh, the, the, the story of the tree, an incredible story. And then last week, uh, an amazing message from Pastor Errol about identity and, and, and the story and the, uh, of images throughout the Bible. This week, we get to talk about a particularly interesting topic, a topic that I'm so jazzed to be telling you about, and that is clothes. Yep, 
We're talking about clothes. And if you know me, it's hilarious that I'm talking about clothes. Marco doesn't care at all about clothing. I have never been one for fashion. Even when I was a little kid, even when I was a little kid, I just wear like the same clothes I wore every day. Cause like they work, right? Why am I gonna change it? Okay, I've always have been and always will be a thrifter. Okay, if I can buy a shirt for three bucks and wear it for nine years, big win. Huge win for me, dude. I'm, I'm so pumped about it. Okay, the only reason I look somewhat presentable today, thank you very much, is because of my wife. She bought this for me yesterday. Straight up, straight up, okay? Shout out to my wife, okay? Fashion is just something that has never been important to me, okay? Clothes have never mattered to me, okay? I've watched other people really care about clothes, and it's a really interesting sociological topic, okay? Clothing and, and how it interacts with us as a human race, super interesting topic, okay? We're the only thing in, in nature that wears clothes. It's crazy. The only piece of clothing I really care about like the only clothing item that really matters to me is my karate uniform, okay, straight up. Like this shirt, this is a nice shirt, right? Like today when I get home, I'm gonna just take this off and just like throw it into the dirty clothes, right? I don't care about it. But my karate uniform, when I'm done with class, I fold that thing up. It's pristine, matters to me. It's special to me, especially that belt. My belt is like magical, like has magical powers. When I, when I started teaching karate, I was in high school, uh, my master would tell me, he was like, listen, you are a superhero to these kids. You, you, you wear a uniform, they really look up to you, you're a higher belt, you're a cool guy. And I remember being a kid and looking up to my instructors and being like, wow, they are so cool, they're awesome. You really did feel like a superhero. Master Brummett would tell me that when I tied on my uniform, when I put my pants on, when I put that dobak on and I cinched that belt, the last thing we do is we tie that belt. When I pull it tight, I'm no longer Marco. Marco's got problems going on in his, in, at home. Marco's got problems going on. But for right now, after that, once I tied that belt on, I was Mr. Miramontes, right? I became like a different person. Brahman would tell us like, I care about those things that are happening in your life. But for right now, I need you to be this. And I always felt that. I always loved that I had a space where I could just tie that belt on, be Mr. Miramontes, and not have to worry about what's going on, right? What we wear is who we are. What we wear is who we are. This isn't some like groundbreaking technology like Margot's cracked the code or something, right? Like you know this. You dressed yourself this morning, right? Hopefully, right? This, what we wear represents who we are, especially like a uniform. Right, like for those of you who work in uniform, you, you, maybe you feel that way too. My dad is a police officer. He feels that way. When he puts on that badge, he's like, I, I'm different. What we wear is who we are. It represents who we are. And so when we talk about things like being underdressed, it makes us feel uncomfortable because we're presenting in a way that we don't want to. That feeling of like uncomfortability, like I'm not dressed for the occasion. I always think of this one story. It was when I was in Moody, uh, Alex and I were not married yet, but we were still caring for my niece. And we were so excited to go to an Easter service at our church uh, on the north side of Chicago. We'd been a part of this church um, and we were on spring break, so we were back in Kankakee. But we were like, hey, let's drive all the way up to Chicago. Let's go to church for Easter. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll get all done up. We'll make it like this cute little family day. We were, so, we were just so excited to be doing it. You know what I mean? We just couldn't wait. We, Alex and Addie got these matching cute dresses. I had a real nice shirt on. 
We go get Starbucks. We're like jamming in music the whole way up there, right? We, we get off of Lakeshore Drive. My church is two blocks off of Lakeshore Drive, literally two blocks, not like Manuka country blocks, like city blocks, okay? We're talking a couple hundred yards. The second we pull off the highway, Addie throws up that blueberry, don't, or that blueberry muffin she had been eating all morning, like explosive throw up. It's everywhere. And so for Addie's Easter outfit that year, she wore these real short teal little shorts and a shirt that was too short for her. Her little belly was sticking out and it had just a giant pug face on the front of it. We go to this super Anglican, very reformed church and everyone's dressed to the nines and there's Addie running around with her belly running out, you know? I was like embarrassed for her, you know? Like, oh, she's underdressed and, and, and like she doesn't care. And if we're being honest, the people at our church didn't care. But that feeling of like being underdressed makes us feel so uncomfy. It's something we all have. It's why you've had those dreams about being naked or not wearing pants to school or something, right? For me, it's always karate class. I always pretend like I'm doing a front kick in my dream and then I realize I'm not wearing pants, super uncomfy. Right, like that, that is like, that's a huge, that's like an innate human fear. We're terrified, we're terrified of the way that we present ourselves and being underdressed. That fear comes all the way from the beginning. It starts all the way at the top. See, when God made us, one of my favorite passages to teach through, when God made us, he made us naked. And Moses writes in a very interesting way. He says something that I think is so, so amazing. He says that they were naked and not ashamed. They didn't have any shame. They were able to look at each other, be in front of each other completely naked and not feel bad about that. When I was a kid, I used to think, or if we're being honest, like two weeks ago, I used to think that that was because sexual sin hadn't entered the world yet. They, they weren't viewing each other in a lustful way. So there was no shame. But when we look through the scriptures and we find different places where we talk about that event, like in Psalms, for example, David says that they weren't naked, but they were clothed in majesty and glory. They're wearing the things God placed on them. And by wearing that majesty and that glory without sin, those outfits fit them. They didn't feel uncomfortable. I'm wearing the glory and, and, and majesty of my king, and so I don't need anything else. I can be naked and have no shame. It's a crazy story, it's a crazy concept. And then we get to that serpent and he convinces them to eat that fruit. I always think it's a pomegranate. And so they eat that fruit and everything that was God on them fell off. The glory and the majesty and the holiness, gone. And there they stood naked. And they immediately realize it. They immediately run and they try to grab some fig leaves or some branches and they try to create a covering for themselves. They wanna hide. Have you ever worn a shirt that's too small? Or pants that are too tight or something? What do you do? You're like tugging on it all day, right? You're like pulling on it, you're uncomfortable. You like stand in a way, you're, you hide yourself. Imagine how uncomfortable those fig leaves and branches must have felt. It's not covering me. And then they hear God approaching. A sound that like 20 minutes ago would have been so comforting to them. Now it just sounds like terror. They hide. 
They hide in some bushes. And when asked, why are you hiding? As if they could hide from God. The response is simple. We were naked. We didn't want you to see us this way. We're not dressed like you anymore. Shame. Shame. It starts right there in the beginning. And so God deals with this problem. He sees the uncomfort in them and he sees the, the shame and the, and the guilt that they're experiencing and he kills an animal and he clothes them. Imagine the embarrassment. Standing there, watch him kill that animal for you so you can cover up. God doesn't leave them. He doesn't abandon them because they messed up. From that very moment, even in Genesis 3, he promises, he promises I'm gonna deal with this issue. I'm gonna get you back to a place where you can stand before me unashamed. He doesn't set up a system where we work really hard. He sets up a system where he's gonna do a lot of the work. And the first piece of that puzzle is a priestly example. He sets up a priesthood, okay? And part of his purpose in setting up this priesthood is has a, to have a physical representation of him to the people. Okay, that's what the priest does. And in a sense, that's what a pastor does too. We represent God to the people. And there's actually a whole chapter in Exodus 28. That's the whole chapter where God is telling Moses specific instructions for how he should dress his brother, the high priest, Aaron. Here's how I want you to dress him. I want you to dress him in glory and majesty. Make him look beautiful. Not like sexy or attractive in that kind of way, but just make him appealing. They cover him in this, like, this, uh, this garment that is perfectly woven. It's like one piece of fabric. It's not stitched together at the seams like our clothes are. It's just one woven piece of fabric, typically made for that priest individually. It's like perfectly made for them. And then they wear this like cool smock thing that sits over their shoulders goes all the way down to the, like, their knees. It's got these beautiful semi-precious stones on their chest and it has the 12 tribes of Israel. They wear this like golden band, like pure golden band turban thing. I mean, the outfit is just gorgeous. And for centuries, for centuries, that's what God looked like to the people, this beautifully dressed person. How did you know Aaron was the priest? He was dressed like it. He wore the fit. And God says that because Aaron is wearing that outfit, because he is the one who gets to wear the outfit, not because he's a good boy, but because God chose him to wear it, he gets to be the one who enters the Holy of Holies once a year. It's like an admission ticket. He's wearing the clothes, he gets to do the job. And so once a year, he gets to go into the Holy of Holies and meet with God face to face. One of the things that they would tell that priest is, be confident. You can be in there. You're allowed to be in there. There's no reason to hide. There's no reason to be ashamed. You're wearing the right clothes given to you by God. And so for hundreds of years, this is what God looked like to the people, this beautifully dressed man who represented them, represented God to us. But that's only one person. What about the rest of us? And that's why I'm so thankful for passages like Isaiah in Isaiah 61, where Isaiah brings this idea back into focus. He's talking about all of us in this passage. He says, one day God is gonna do an immaculate work. He's gonna do something that's gonna give us all the priesthood. We're all gonna be priests. 
and we're gonna get to wear those clothes. The way that Isaiah says it is he says, God's gonna bestow on us, on them, a crown of beauty instead of ashes. We wear, we wear crowns of ashes and he's gonna take those off and give us crowns of beauty, right? He's gonna give us oil of joy instead of mourning. He's going to give us a garment of praise instead of that spirit of despair. These things, despair, mourning, and ashes are things we all currently feel so much. And the promise is, I'm gonna deal with those things by taking them off of you and dressing you differently. And it's available to everyone. Look at the priest. If he did it to him, he can do it to you. That's the idea. But then the big question gets asked, God, how are you going to work this out? How are you going to get me from a position where I was covering myself with fig leaves and loincloths and how are you gonna get me to a place where I'm wearing a crown of beauty? God, I don't deserve that. I feel like when I put those clothes on, they're not gonna fit. How does God work out this method? How does he get us to this place? How does he bring us from one place to another? It's mind-blowing. As Paul says in Philippians, this is what he says. Who, talking about Jesus, being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, what? He made himself nothing. By taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. Church, he wears our clothes. He becomes us. He literally takes on flesh and blood and then actually wears like human clothes. He, he takes on our form. And later in his life, when he's walking around and he's teaching and he becomes a rabbi, guess what? He's wearing that same seamless, unbroken, like perfectly woven fabric. The same one that the priest used to wear. We know that because in this passage, in John chapter 19, it confirms it. When the soldiers crucified Jesus, they took his clothes, dividing them into four shears, one for each of them with the undergarment remaining. What was that undergarment like? Seamless and woven from top to bottom. He's wearing that priestly garment. He comes in flesh and blood. He wears the priestly garments. And then right after this passage, what happens? It's ripped. This perfect fabric which is perfectly designed for him has been ripped. And there's so much symbolism about that being ripped and the curtain being ripped and his body being ripped for us. In church, it's this immaculate demonstration of love and generosity to us. And why would he do that? Why would he suffer at, our own, at, 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 at the hands of his own creation? Why would he suffer life on earth for this long? So that, as Paul says in Colossians, Okay, big passage, just skip straight to the end. Don't read the rest, I'll get to it in a second. When Christ, who is your life, appears, what are you gonna do? You will also appear with him in glory. Church, that's a way better position than loincloths and fig leaves. This is the promise that God has given us. Because of Jesus' life, death, resurrection, ascension, because of that lifetime, I get to participate in eternal glory with God. I don't have to worry about the clothes that I'm wearing. God promises I'm going to give you better clothes. I'm going to clothe you in glory and majesty just like I once did. I'm gonna bring you back to this position of honor. 
And it's not because I've been a good boy. It has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with what Jesus did and then what he's choosing to do with it afterwards. He's given me these clothes and I get to wear them. So church, this, this passage, this idea, it begs us to ask the question, what am I wearing? Am I wearing Jesus's, like am I wearing the glory and the majesty that God has given me? Or am I wearing the shame and the guilt for my sins? Am I hanging on to all the things that, that keep me here or am I looking forward? Paul says in that passage in Colossians, he's like, because this is the case, keep your mind on those things. Since then, if you've been raised by Christ, put your mind there. Make that your identity to, to touch in the last week too. God has clothed you, not in the shame and disgust of your sin and your rebellion, but in the glory and the majesty that he won when he defeated death. Am I living like I'm wearing those clothes? Because whether I like it or not, I'm putting that belt on, right? And if I'm wearing it, that means I'm a different person. I am made new. Church, one day we will stand before God. You'll get to see him face to face. And my prayer for you, my prayer for myself, is that when I stand in front of God, I don't feel like I'm naked. I wanna be able to stand in front of him and say, God, look, look at the clothes you've put on me. I get to be here. Paul mentions, talks about this a little bit in 2 Corinthians. This is what he says. He says, for we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, talking about the world, we have a building from God, an eternal house, not built by human hands. It's better. Okay, everything that's made by humans fails. You're watching it happen. I'm watching it happen, right? Meanwhile, we groan. It's rough. You're gonna struggle. Okay, you're gonna groan. Longing to be clothed instead with our heavenly dwelling because when we are clothed, we won't be found naked. Church, if you're clothing yourself, if you surrender your life, if you give it all to Jesus, he's putting these clothes on you, okay? He did it once and he's continuing to do it throughout your life in a process called sanctification. He's making us more like him. And he even uses the language, I'm putting myself on you more and more. I'm giving you kindness and humility and grace more and more every day. Church, if we know, for while we are in this tent, we groan and are burdened because we do not wish to be unclothed, but clothed. Instead, with our heavenly dwelling, so that this mortal body, which is gonna die, can get swallowed up by life. Church, the, the process in which God uses to make us more like him is a brutal one. It hurts. The verb uses like work out, he like molds us, forms us into what he wants us to be. And a part of that is clothing us in the pieces of, uh, of him. Church, this is a fundamental truth. This isn't, this isn't something that it's like, oh, this could be available to you if you read your Bibles more. This would be available to you if you prayed more. Church, if you are in Christ Jesus, if you have made that personal decision to follow him, to surrender your life to him, these are the clothes you're currently wearing. You're no longer wearing shame and guilt and dishonor. You can set those things aside. God already has. When he looks at you, he's not seeing loincloths and fig leaves. He 
He's seeing that amazing fabric. He's seeing that beautiful smock, that crazy cool turban. He's seeing himself on you. I open up this message by reading from Revelations chapter seven. This passage is one I think about regularly. It's not the only time it mentions white robes in the, in the end times, but it's definitely one of the biggest. When all things come to end and God passes his judgment on this world, I don't have to worry about if I'm gonna be found naked in his sight. Normally I would. My sins would, would make me feel so separated from him and make me feel so shamed and guilt. But, but reading his words, seeing the truth of what he's offering me and the clothes he's really putting me in, and he's making me more and more like him every day. Church, I can stand in confidence today, tomorrow, and the next day because I know that one day I'll stand up there with a white robe, pure. It's not gonna have any blood stains because of the sins you committed yesterday. It's not gonna have any marks. It's going to be pure white. And the only way that your robe can get white is if you wash it in the blood of the lamb. Church, this is available to all of us. These are the clothes that we are actually wearing. To some degree, you're already wearing that white robe. He's just working it out in you so it fits better and better and better. My takeaway for you this morning is to wear the clothes God has put you in. Wear those clothes, the glory and the majesty and the beauty that he demonstrates throughout his word. Do you remember that event on the transfiguration when Jesus brings his friends up to the mountaintop and he shows himself in true color? The Bible tries so hard, the boys try so hard to describe just how beautiful he was and there's no way that they could. That glory and that beauty that Jesus demonstrated on that mountaintop or that Moses showed every time he came down from the mountain, you will shine just as bright. That is the future heading for you if you are in Christ Jesus. If you're not, if you're in this room, if you're watching online and you've not made that personal decision to follow Jesus, to receive these clothes, consider. Ask those questions. Place yourself in the story. Where do I fit in this narrative? Am I wearing those clothes? What am I wearing? And church, if you are in Christ Jesus, I don't want you to get hung up like I've been, wearing clothes of shame and guilt and dishonor, walking around like I'm not redeemed or saved by God, acting like I'm just a failure or acting like my sins have separated me or, or, or the, the disgust of the world has kept me far. It's not true. I'm wearing these beautiful clothes because they were given to me. And he's gonna make me more and more like him every day. Church, I think we should pray and ask God to help us as we try to change our minds, give ourselves a different perspective, remind ourselves every day that I'm not wearing the clothes of the world. I'm not wearing my past. I'm not wearing my shame and my guilt. I'm not wearing a, 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 like a band t-shirt that represents I'm a part of this community or I'm a part of this community. Like I'm only wearing the beautiful, majestic clothes that God has placed on me because he is a kind and generous God. Let's pray and ask him for help. God, we're amazed by your beauty. 
it's incredible to read the, the, the countless times you presented yourself throughout the scriptures, God, and, and how amazing and, and, and powerful and sweet and soft you can be. And God, I look at that beauty and I see my sin, my disgusting rebellion against you. And God, it, it, it makes me question how I could ever get from where I am feeling nasty and disgusting to, to one day wearing a white robe. God, I'm so thankful it has nothing to do with me. It has everything to do with you. You are kind and generous to give us these clothes. And God, you've promised us that because we wear these clothes, we get to stand before you unashamed. I can talk to you. I can be with you. I can spend eternity with you. And I don't have to worry about my shame and my guilt. God, help us in this moment to believe that, to pass those guilt and shame feelings onto you. God, the yoke is heavy. We wanna give it to you. God, we wanna give you all the glory and all the praise from all the work you're doing in our lives and in the lives of everyone around us. Help us to be more like you. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Church, it was so good to see you. I hope you have a great week.
and want to tell you about because I'm not even, I'm not ashamed of this. I'm not scared of this. It has no power over me because Jesus is my primary identifier. And if he's my primary identifier, the addiction isn't. If he's a primary identifier, my fear of what other people think of me isn't my primary identifier. I stood there um, the first day and I'm standing and, and, and you got this room packed with thousands of people. Again, thousands of out of the closet broken people. All of us in this room are broken. They just admit it. And the volume of their singing was immense. Somebody said it in between sets, nobody worships like captives set free. And I'm standing behind this row of people and there's this mom and her like 17 or 18 or, or so son and they're both singing and worshiping and then they get to this song and we've, we've sung this song here before. Um, the song's called I Speak Jesus. You guys have heard that song? And it gets to this one part of the song and it says, I just wanna speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. And I'm standing behind these two people and the son who's like taller than me, it just hits him. Like something within fear and anxiety, just like, and he just slowly sat down. And you could just see like, he was trying to hold it together. And his mom didn't even see this because she's just worshiping Jesus, her rescuer, her savior. And she turns and she notices him and she heard the words that she had just sung. I just want to speak the name of Jesus over fear and all anxiety. And then she puts her hand on his head and she leans over and she kisses him and she finishes the rest of the line. Pat. To every soul held captive by depression, I speak Jesus. And she puts her hand on his head and then she raises her other hand up. And I love that because in this kid's head, the loudest volume of his identity is my depression, my fear, and the volume is so high, I can't go into a room without thinking it. I don't care what I say to you. I don't care what you think about me. This is the thing that's in my head primary. And she put her head on his head, like that's what needs to be healed. And she knew the solution of who it is. And I just lost it. I was like, this was a terrible day to show up. I love that so much. In that kind of honesty, transformation takes place. When people know that the image of God gives us an appropriate view of everyone around us, an appropriate view of ourselves, all of a sudden something changes. You are a grateful follower of Jesus and you struggle. And you could be honest about that because your identity is rooted in him. This um, spoken word artist named Hosanna Wong, amazing. I'm gonna like one of her songs. She put up, she talked about all of the ways that she used to identify herself is looking in the mirror and finding herself to be not attractive for anyone, for, for always living up to the, the expectations of family members and never knowing who she was. And then all of a sudden she said, you know what? When you lose who you are, when you lose your real name, God gives you your real name. And she went through, she put this up on the screen and she started just talking about how, you know what? You might feel like you are so alone, 
but Jesus calls you friend in John 15, 15. You might think that there's not a single person on planet earth that would choose you, but God in 1 Thessalonians 1, 4 says you are chosen. You might look in the mirror like Hosanna said she did and not see anything but a mess and something that just needs to be tweaked and fixed because there's nothing and no one that would possibly love you. And yet when God looks at you, he calls you his masterpiece in Ephesians 2.10. You might be someone that because of what you've done, the weight and the shame of that causes you to think there's nothing inside of me but dirt. There's nothing inside of me but regret. But God chooses to call you a temple in 1 Corinthians 6.19 that you might be someone who feels like you are a slave to each and everything that you have, all of your hungers, all of your drives, all of your addictions. But the truth is, in John 8, 36, God calls you free. That in your life, you might feel like everyone has given up on you and for good reason. Because you have done and done and done and messed up and fallen too far and there's no hope. And the truth is for you, when God looks at you, 2 Corinthians 5.17 says that God looks at you as brand new. You are brand new. Do you believe that? Do you understand that? That God looks at you as greatly loved. Romans 5 talks about that God loved us when we were loveless, when we hated him, when we were dead to him. And so if you are today thinking, how could God possibly love me now? God loved you then. Of course he loves you now. And whatever your identity is, no matter how established, how you've pulled yourself up by your own bootstraps and you've made such a solid foundation for your life, that is not how God sees you. And it's good news that he doesn't. He sees you as a child of God. Amen? Folks, when we, as the people of God, realize that we are created in the image of God, it changes everything. Changes how you see the world around you. And it changes how you see yourself. And freed by that reality, you all of a sudden, your life starts to experience something that you may not have experienced yet. It's transformation. When we come to the Lord's table, we're reminded of something because God knows that of all the things that we forget, and I forget a lot, one of the key things we forget in life is who we are, that we're a child of God, created in the image of God, loved by God, chosen by God. When we were dead to God, he loved us and made a way. They made a way through the cross. If you're a follower of Jesus, this table is for you. In just a moment, we're gonna exit the rows on the left side, get the elements and come back to your rows, spend some time in contemplation of, of what life is all about. What, what, is, what is your life all about? What are you sinking your identity in? And whatever it is that isn't Jesus, confess that to him right now. Say, God, I don't want that to be my primary identifier. I don't want that status to be my primary identifier. I want you to take priority over that status. If it's shame and embarrassment of what you've gone through or done, say, God, I don't want that to be my primary identifier. I want you to be my primary identifier. Let this dissolve under the power and the weight of the beams of the cross that you took for me. If you're not a follower of Jesus, I cannot think of a better day for you to be at church. Because right where you're at, you could say, God, I'm surrendering to you right now. Or God, I'm coming back right now. All the identity that I've been holding on 
I'm asking you to forgive that. I'm asking you to be my identity. Lead me from this point. And if that's you, I want you to come forward too, to get the bread and the cup and celebrate. But God doesn't want you to forget. 